Amen. Thank you, Paul. Well, friends, if you will turn in your copies of Scripture with me to Romans chapter 15. We're in Romans chapter 15, and we'll begin in verse 22. Romans 15, beginning in verse 22, we will read to the end of the chapter. Hear the word of the Lord to us this morning. Paul continues, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, friends, our key truth, what I'm hoping we will walk away with from these verses, is this. God calls us to be diligently and energetically prayerful, that he would grant us opportunities to demonstrate our reconciliation in Christ through hospitality and generosity to each other. Diligently and energetically prayerful that he would grant us opportunities to live out hospitality and generosity to each other. Now, that key truth notwithstanding, perhaps you heard these verses and you thought to yourself, hmm, is there anything, anything really there of, a, of applicability to me in this modern day? I, I feel that oftentimes we get to the end of Romans, or really, if we're honest, the end of most of Paul's letters, and uh, we see these details and we think, well, that's all very fine and well for Paul and the people who knew them, but it's not really much relevant to me these days and to my life. But I, I think that'd be a mistake for us. Uh, Paul, I think, here shows us why he is worthy to be considered by us a hero of the faith. As you've gone along, haven't you had folks that you've looked up to as sort of heroes in the faith? It can be one of the reasons why it's so good to read Christian biography. So we need to see examples of people who've clung to Jesus all throughout their life, who really exhibit what it is to be spiritually mature, to follow him through thick and through thin. And Paul is a great example of that. And these seemingly minor details, these scheduling things, these explanations of why he's been delayed in coming to the saints and Romans, I think they exhibit something of what it is that Paul thought, what it meant to follow Jesus, to follow him with all of his heart and soul and mind, the, the kind of person that Paul was, his character, and why he's worthy to be considered by us a hero of the faith. And that's why I think these verses ring out with application for us, and especially Paul's exhortation to join him in praying for the success of his ministry. And I think that raises a question for you and me today. And the question is, what motivates you to pray? What motivates you to pray? If you're like me, most often the thing that really gets you going in prayer is when something immediate and having to do with your most close interests is affecting them. Something right in front of you. 
I find it usually difficult to pray for things that are far off, that, that don't really come into my everyday experience. But of course, I know the Lord calls me to pray for those things. I long to be a part of his work all throughout the world, and I know I can be a part of that in my prayer for the success of the gospel as it spreads out far and wide. We would struggle this way. I think Paul at times struggled this way himself. And that's why he tells the Roman Christians to strive with him in prayer. He's very realistic. It's going to take some effort. But that raises that question for us. What motivates us to pray? And I think the answer to that question can reveal a lot about ourselves, our our view of goodness and peace, the good life that we're aiming for, and the goals and ambitions that we've set for ourselves. And so that is why I think fundamentally the rest of the information in this chapter, in these verses, it's so useful for us to have. They reveal a lot about how the Apostle Paul answered that question for himself. Now, you'll notice, if you're looking at the sermon notes in the bulletin, that the title of this sermon is Paul's Personal Postscript, Part 2. Cameron's sermon from last week, from verses 14 through 21, that was Part 1, this is Part 2. And that title seems to me entirely appropriate to the character of these concluding remarks in Paul's letter to the Romans. They're like a postscript, a PS, we might say. They reveal a little bit more about the personality of Paul, a little bit about his character, and above all, I think, his self-forgetful love, his self-forgetful love for other people that was strengthened in him whenever he contemplated the love of Jesus Christ and the power of the gospel. Those of us who perhaps grew up writing letters, we we know that a P.S. is usually reserved for the sort of thing that you write in letters to close friends and to family. You don't usually put a P.S. in a business letter or on the cover letter of your resume. You put a P.S. in letters that you you send to people who are close to you, and they reveal a little bit about your more intimate side, the, the, the details that are appropriate to a warm and friendly relationship. You fill those sort of details with off-the-cuff remarks about your schedule or about your friends and family or the reason for a delay or perhaps an inside joke, but a P.S. is reserved for people that you're close to. And that's why I think it's so wonderful that in this chapter we get to see how Paul, even though he's never visited these Roman Christians in person, how Paul really does view them as family. He really does view them as close friends, and he fills the end of his letter with with the sort of details that are appropriate to that kind of friendship. He wants, to let, he wants to, let, to let them know why he's been delayed in coming to them. He wants them to join him in praying for the success of his ministry in Jerusalem. It's a kind of P.S. that reveals the heart of Paul for these Roman Christians. And we also see what a noble soul Paul was. That's an old phrase, I'm afraid, but I, I think it's really true. Paul was a noble soul. Paul was filled with a deep and profound sense of the glory of the gospel what it really was that God drew people from so many different cultures and so many different life experiences and so many different circumstances together and made them one in Christ Jesus. Paul, as it were, never got over that fact. He loved it. And he wants these Roman Christians to be assured that he loves them, that he wants the kind of priorities that shape Paul's life and mission. You and I, we have priorities. We we make priorities practically every day, and they're revealed usually in our schedule. Notice the sort of priorities that shape and form Paul's schedule here. He wants to go to the Roman Christians. He loves them. He wants to be encouraged by them and to encourage them. But there's another priority that he has that is even more important than that, and that is that he goes to these saints in Jerusalem to deliver the aid that he's been collecting. 
In fact, I think we see in these verses that one way to describe, I think, the whole of Paul's life and ministry was that it was a ministry of hospitality and generosity for the sake of others. Now, you may say, hospitality? I mean, I see the generosity bit, sure. Paul, if anybody was generous with everything that he had, it was certainly Paul for the gospel. But hospitality, I mean, he was kind of an itinerant preacher, right? But I think Paul was hospitable in that deep and profound sense that he knew and he lived with the abiding conviction that the Gentiles were to be welcomed into the family of God. Hospitality on the most broad and wonderful basis, hospitality for those who were far off and now are called in to come into the family of God. And in the early days of the church, when Paul was active, that was a very thorny and sticky issue. Because early Christians, they had difficulty seeing it. Of course, they believed it at some level. We see that in Peter, don't we? When Peter is hesitant to see that all things have been made clean. And so the Lord comes to him in a vision and says, Peter, I'm going to send you to a Cornelius, this God-fearing Gentile, this Roman, and I'm going to show you what it is that the gospel is not just for Jewish people only. It's also for Gentiles. But it was still, it was a tricky issue. How do we come to grips with this? How is it that God's people can be filled with, with people who don't first become proselytes of Judaism? So it was a sticky issue. But Paul, he was that, that missionary to the Gentiles. The early Christians recognized this. When Paul goes back to Jerusalem for the second or the third time, we don't know exactly when this happened, but Paul recounts it for us in Galatians 2. He says that the pillars of the faith, Peter and James and John, the early leaders of the Jerusalem church, they recognized that they had a mission primarily to the Jewish people, their compatriots in Jerusalem. But Paul was called to the uncircumcised, to the Gentiles. And Paul, it seems, took this mission and he ran with it. He wanted the Gentiles to know they were welcomed in because of what Christ Jesus had done for them. So hospitality on the, the profoundest sense and the, in the grandest sense. We remember, of course, when Saul becomes Paul in the book of Acts. I think it's wonderful. It's in Acts 13. And, and you see that it's a little while after Saul, to become Paul, has been called by the Lord on that, that amazing Damascus Road revelation of Jesus. And he sent it first to Arabia and then to Damascus. Then he has that harrowing escape from Damascus as he's lowered down in a basket. We think it's cool, but later Paul will write about it. Maybe that Paul was a little bit socially awkward and he just felt bad about it. He ate meat with the. But anyway, it's, it's a grand story in Paul's life. And he goes back to Jerusalem at first, but he doesn't meet with the early leaders of the Jerusalem church, except for maybe Peter. So he's not there immediately on the scene. He's not immediately known as someone who's going to be this powerful preacher of the gospel. And then he goes to Antioch in Syria. And he's there for a few years. And there it really becomes clear that he, in conjunction with Barnabas, have a unique mission to the Gentiles, to the people who are far off, who don't know the covenant promises of the Lord God of Israel. They have a unique mission. And so finally, the Holy Spirit speaks through the prophets and the church in Antioch. And he says, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called to them. And then from there, Paul and Barnabas go on their first missionary journey and they land at the island of Cyprus. And then it is at that point that, that uh, Luke, the narrator of Acts, begins to call Saul, Paul. So he goes from Saul's Jewish name, Saul, to Paul's Latin name, his Gentile name, Paul. It's this subtle shift, but all of a sudden we start to read no longer about Saul, but Paul, as he begins to make this missionary journey to the Gentiles. 
And he never lost the sense, the profound sense of his calling, what he was called to, to take this message to the far ends of the earth. And so we see, and this is towards the end of his ministry, or near the end of his ministry, as Paul is writing this letter to the Romans in Ephesus, he's not lost his conviction. He loves these Roman Christians, and he longs to see them, but first he's got to go back to Jerusalem to bring this collection that he's collected from his Gentile converts for the aid of the saints in Jerusalem. And we see that he was a man of grand ambition to preach Christ in those far-flung places where Jesus had not yet been named. He was, as I say, a man with a deep sense of the Lord's particular calling upon his life. It's interesting to me that Paul never, not for one moment, sought out this ministry. He didn't seek it out to become a hero. He didn't seek it out because he had a feeling of personal inadequacy. No, he, all, he always reminded his, his hearers and his listeners and his detractors and his, and his admirers that it was Christ Jesus himself who called Paul to that work. And that was not according to Paul's subjective feeling. No, it was according to the objective facts that everyone who'd seen him and knew his story could tell. It was not an accidental thing that Paul had engaged on this mission. No, it was rather the Lord's particular calling upon his life. We see that Paul was a man who loved Jesus. And Paul viewed this ministry that Jesus had given him as a thank offering to the Lord. We saw it last week, didn't we? When he says that he views his ministry to the Gentiles as a thank offering to the Lord. In other words, he, he kind of views it with this sense of a, a profound love for the Lord about what the Lord has done for him in drawing him from his sin and his past persecution of the church. And now he's able to preach the gospel. And one day in heaven, he's going to be able to look at nothing but a thank offering to you. Thank you for what you've done for my life. And all these people singing your praises, that's what I love to see because I love you. So Paul was so far from the sense of, of pride and arrogance about his abilities or what he was able to do, he viewed his whole ministry as a thank offering to the Lord. He was a man who loved people. It's fascinating to me that almost the entirety of his ministry was both preaching and raising money for the poor in Jerusalem. This is not the first collection that Paul has been collecting for these saints. Even from his earliest ministry, before he was really known as the apostle to the Gentiles, he collected relief for the saints in Jerusalem when they were facing a very severe famine, not much longer after Jesus had arisen to the Father. It seems for many years these saints had suffered, and there are many reasons for it, most profoundly probably because they were severely persecuted. And Paul never lost this sense that his ministry was a twin ministry of preaching the gospel and demonstrating the reconciliation that Jesus had won for his people, Jew and Gentile alike, in relief for these poor saints. And, and so even though he longs to go to these Roman Christians and longs to be encouraged by them, he has an even more important mission to bring that money back to Jerusalem. Now, perhaps like me, you privileged Western Christian who haven't really had to face very severe famine or anything like that, you read these verses and you think, ah, this, this seems to be a bit of a worldly, materialistic intrusion into this glorious gospel story. But I think it'd be a mistake to read it that way because it was not the way that Paul viewed this, this collection for the saints in Jerusalem. No, he viewed it as the outworking of the gospel. He viewed it as the best way to show that Jew and Gentile alike truly are reconciled. And that's why he says they were pleased to collect this money for their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And indeed, if we're really to put a fine point on it, they kind of owe it to them. 
Because these Gentile Christians, they've been invited into the grand and glorious and eternal promises of the gospel that were the province of the Jews first. They were the gatekeepers of these glorious promises of the Abrahamic covenant. And now the Gentile Christians, us Christians, we get to share in that. That riches beyond all imagining. And if we truly recognize what that means for us and for our lives, how truly safe and secure we are in Jesus, and we don't have to worry about anything, then we begin to realize, at the very least, I owe it to these poor saints in Jerusalem to give my material blessings to raise them up. And of course, we know from other places, this was something of a sacrifice for these Christians in the Gentile world. From Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium and other places, they were not having an easy time of it, many of them. But out of their extreme poverty and their joy in the gospel, they were pleased to do it because they read the covenant promises of God. What is a few dollars and cents to send to these poor saints have in Christ Jesus? I've shared this story before, so I apologize if you've heard it. But, but one of the profoundest ways I saw this in action in the, in the local church was what, during the time I was an intern at a church in Paris, France. And in that church, there were believers who had become followers of Jesus out of Judaism and Israel and other parts of the world. And there were also followers of Jesus who'd come to Jesus out of Islam from North Africa and Arabia and other places in Palestine. And these brothers and sisters were members of the same church. And every year, they would get together and they would host a dinner. And they would cook all their favorite food from all the places that they were from. And they'd invite their family, their Jewish family and their Muslim family to this feast. And they would say, and many of these folks literally had family members who were fighting one another with guns in Palestine. And they'd bring them together and they'd have a meal and they would say, look what Jesus has done for us. He can do it for you too. This is the kind of reconciliation we have in Jesus. Friends, that was beautiful. That was wonderful. They saw what Paul saw here, that we are reconciled to Jesus. And that means we have the greatest opportunity to live that out for other people, for the life of the world. But Paul also knew something about our hearts and the busyness of life and how we often feel overwhelmed by just what we've got going on and how we long, yes, to illustrate this. We long to show the world what it means to be reconciled to Jesus. But sometimes life is hard and it's busy. How are we to do it? And so that's why I love the way he closes his, his schedule, as it were, his itinerary. And he says, join me, join me, Roman Christians, in praying for the success of my ministry. Join me, strive with me, that we would get the opportunity not to be overcome by the unbelievers in Judea, not to be overcome by suspicion, by those who might look upon this gift offering with suspicion, by those who might turn it away. Pray with me that the Lord would use this as an opportunity to illustrate the gospel. And friends, we can do that too. Yes, on the, the, the broad way of viewing it, the 30,000-foot view, as we think about the missionaries in our church that we support, as they've been sent out into the world in far-flung places like Malaysia and Thailand and other places like that. They, they get to illustrate the reconciling power of the gospel. Yes, we can join them in praying that the Lord would give them opportunity to do that, that they'd not be overcome by the busyness of life, that they'd not be overcome by discouragement or distraction. We can also pray that for ourselves. How often with you or with me have you looked at your schedule and thought, I don't, I don't know that I'm making much time to illustrate the gospel. I barely know my neighbors. It's tough as it is to invite people into my home. It's tough to receive hospitality. And to that, Paul says, 
join me in striving to pray the Lord would give us opportunity. Now, that raises for us sermon series in Romans, and that's this idea of hospitality and what it really means. And as we think about that, hear this quote from Timothy Lane and Paul Tripp. I've been reading this book, How People Change, and I've really been uh, just deeply appreciative of the way that they navigate some of these issues in the context of hospitality. And they have this quote in there that I'll share with you now about what it means to be involved in relationship with others. And they're very realistic about what it means. So here's what they say. They say, being involved with people is time-consuming, messy, and complicated. From our point of view, it is inefficient. But from God's point of view, it is the best way to encourage growth and grace. That means we will have to make time for these kinds of friendships to emerge and grow. We will have to be realistic too. Close friendships make it more likely that you will sin against someone or that someone will sin against you. There will need to be times of confession and forgiveness. There will need to be times when you need to serve someone, even though you feel you lack the resources. Boy, I feel that almost all the time. There will, need to be, there will be times when you will need to, sorry, there will be times when loving others and allowing others to serve and, uh, and love us will feel like death. But this is the pathway to real life in Christ. I think they're exactly right about that. And I think Paul recognized that. That's why he encourages us to join him in praying, in striving to pray that we would have those kind of opportunities, that the Holy Spirit would show up in power to clear the way, to clear the obstacles, to help us to see the opportunities that are right before us, and then to follow through. So some helps to, to us to navigate relationships in a spirit of hospitality and generosity, just as Paul encourages us to do. First of all, we need to see from these verses that the love and esteem that we have for each other is established in Christ. It's not on the basis of what others can do for us. The love and esteem that we have for, another, for one another is established in Christ and Christ alone. That was Paul's whole ministry, that the love we have for one another is given to us in Christ, not on the basis of what each other can do for us. And that is why Paul encourages us to be absorbed with the Lord Jesus Christ, to be absorbed with the gospel, to learn consecration to Christ as the surest antidote to self-absorption. That is why Paul is so confident that when he comes back to the Romans, when he does this mission to Jerusalem and delivers this money to them, he will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. He is sure that the more we fix our eyes on Jesus, the more we will be encouraged to see that the basis of our relationship with, with one another is not what each other can do for us, not which, what we can get out of one another, but what we have in Christ Jesus together. We also need to keep our eyes on the upward prize in Christ Jesus. Earlier this week, Sonia and those who go to Legacy, we were visiting with the saints there, and we were considering Psalm 1, that wonderful psalm with them. And I just love the way in which that psalm encourages us as planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. A tree is something that stays, right? It has roots. It digs its roots deep, and it yields its fruit in its season. That's very realistic, too. There, are, there will be times when your effort to be hospitable and generous with each other, it doesn't yield immediate fruit. Sometimes it'll be hard to see where it all, it all is going, but it yields its fruit in its season. That's the kind of blessing that we have in Christ Jesus. And so we need to keep our eyes on the upward prize that we have in Christ Jesus. That's why that great psalm, it ends with reminding us that the wicked are not so. They don't stand in the congregation of the righteous, but the Lord knows the way of the righteous. 
and they will live with him forever. And so the more we think about our hospitality and generosity, the more we're encouraged to view our lives as a kind of thank offering to the Lord, to invite others in, we keep our eyes on the prize. We keep our eyes on the final end of the story, what Jesus has called us to, and the sure end he is bringing us to in him. Remember also that what precisely is on offer in the gospel is grace to help us to do these things. Because we don't have the strength in ourselves. At times it is hard for us to even see the opportunities that are right before us to demonstrate reconciliation and generosity to each other. But we have a one who is gracious to us and one who will give us grace to help in our time of need. And remember most of all that all of us, all of us are sheltering under the wings of Jesus Christ. It is almost impossible, I think, to have a kind of superior attitude or to begrudge the service that we ought to give to one another if we remember this fact, that all of us here are sheltering under the wings of Jesus Christ. None of us came here, none of us came to the gospel because we had life figured out. None of us. None of us came to Jesus Christ because we were good or perfect or the exemplar of a good life. All of us are sheltering under the wings of Christ Jesus. And when you look at your brothers and sisters in the local church and those who are far off, and you remember that there are those here who are sheltering under the wings of Jesus Christ and those far off who need to shelter under the wings of Jesus Christ, you cannot have a superior attitude to those folks. You will look at every opportunity that you are given to demonstrate truth and reconciliation and generosity as the greatest privilege, to welcome them in, to shelter under Jesus' wings. That is what Paul does for us, and that is why I think it is so wonderful that he closes this portion of Romans with a reminder that he longs to come to these Roman Christians to encourage them to be with them, finally to go on his way to Spain to reach the very ends of the known world with the gospel. And yet he has this one mission left, to demonstrate what reconciliation really looks like, to demonstrate the truth of the gospel as these, this thank offering of the Gentiles is given to the Jews to, to, to show the oneness that they all have in Christ Jesus. Reality of life. Paul is very realistic in these words, I think. Life is busy. Time is short. Life is difficult. It is often difficult to see the opportunities to serve others that are before us. Also, we see through a glass half darkly. Notice that though Paul encourages these Roman Christians to pray for the success of his ministry, things we know later don't go according to plan. <laughs> he asked the Roman Christians that he would be spared from the unbelievers in Judea, and we know from the latter half of Acts, the moment, or almost the moment that he lands in Judea, he is immediately persecuted. And the way that story ends for Paul is, he's thrown into prison. And he's there for two years before he actually makes it to Rome in chains. So did the Roman Christians not pray like they were supposed to pray for Paul? I don't think that's the case. We also know that though he prays for the success of his ministry to the saints in Jerusalem, that they would receive this thank offering and see it as it really is, an illustration of the reconciliation they have with their Gentile brothers and sisters, Luke in Acts doesn't really narrate how this, this uh, contribution was received. So we don't know exactly how that went. Does that mean the Roman Christians didn't pray hard enough? I don't think so. I think what this illustrates is that God will always be faithful to give us opportunity to illustrate the gospel, but we see through a glass half darkly, and oftentimes we are unwilling to go through the suffering that is required to most truly illustrate it. 
Well, that's what Paul illustrates for us here. That is not a reason why we should not join him in striving to pray for the success of the gospel. It is a reason all the more for us to pray most deeply and not to be insistent upon our own way. Not to be insistent upon our own schedule or the best laid plans that we can lay, but instead to trust the Lord will use us in the way that seems best to him to most profoundly illustrate the gospel. In fact, as Paul is leaving Ephesus, after he's written this, this letter to the Roman Christians and sends it off to them, we know that he goes down to the dock at Ephesus and all the Ephesian elders, they follow him. And it is an emotional farewell because they know in this life, they're not going to see Paul again. And Paul says to them, I go to Jerusalem not knowing what is going to happen to me, except I do know this, the Holy Spirit has testified that wherever I go, I face beatings and imprisonment, but join me in praying. Join me in praying that the truth of the gospel that you so love, that you've been invited into, that illustrates the reconciliation that you now have with God, join me in praying that the saints in Jerusalem and the saints in Rome and the saints in Spain and far beyond, even to this day in America, join me in praying that that would be successful. And that is a prayer request that rings through the ages that we now, as God's beloved people, get to join in in praying. And so we need to be realistic, but we also need to see the remedy. Our busyness, our distractions, our seeing through a glass half prayer that recognizes grace is exactly what we need and grace is existing for us. In Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we will demonstrate the fruit of reconciliation even when things don't go according to plan. Even when it is difficult for us to see. Every, did you know this? Every effort that you make on behalf of the gospel as polluted as you might feel it to be in the moment with your own selfishness and sin, every effort that you make to illustrate the reconciliation you have in Christ Jesus with the gospel will last into eternity. Everything else is going to be blown away by fire. God's going to purify it. But the thing that will last into eternity will be all of your efforts to love the little children of this church well. All of your efforts to sing out so that other people can see there is life and joy in the gospel. All of your efforts in hospitality for one another will last into eternity. Even when the meal doesn't go according to plan, even when it's hectic, even when people come into your house and you feel it's a bit messy, even when you feel the conversation was just not your best work and you feel it was a little awkward, even when you feel that everything that you've done maybe doesn't amount to much, all the efforts that you make to illustrate the truth of the gospel in reconciliation, in hospitality and generosity to others will last into eternity. Paul says as much in the letter to the Corinthians. We know that everything will be, tapped, be refined by fire. All the dross will be done away, but all the things that will last is the gold and the silver that represents all of the efforts that God's people made to love one another because they knew the kind of reconciliation they had in the gospel. Friends, that is the greatest motivation that we can have to join Paul and to join the saints throughout the ages in praying that the Lord would make us aware of the opportunities we have to do just this. We will have a treasure in heaven that represents all of the effort that we have made to illustrate the gospel in this way. So a closing question for us. Given these realities, given Paul's exhortation to us, how much time, how much energy, how many of your resources does your current life, your current season of life, give you both to be hospitable and to receive hospitality from others? 
Well, I think almost to ask that question is to answer it, because we know how busy we can be. We know how the seasons of life oftentimes seem to preclude meaningful interaction with one another for these things. But the second question is this. Do the complex and changing circumstances of life drive you towards diligent prayer that the Lord would grant opportunity, wisdom, strength, humility, and power to serve and to be served by your brothers and sisters in Christ? Friends, our busyness, our inability to see the opportunities that are right before us is no excuse for our failure to engage in hospitality and generosity. No, because we have this one and powerful antidote to all of that, our prayer, our striving in prayer, our joining with Paul in prayer that the truth of the gospel will be illustrated in our lives. And that's why God calls us to be reconciliation in Christ through hospitality and generosity to each other. Let's be a people who are marked by the end of this year as people who are diligent in this kind of prayer. The thing that would ring out from all of our years in Romans, these past two years, as we've seen all the glorious things that are to be seen in Romans, would be that we grew in prayer for the life of the world, that we grew in prayer, that we be the kind of people who are hospitable and generous, not just to each other, but also to those who are far off. We'd be known as that kind of church. And won't you join me now as we pray the Lord would use this in our lives to make us that kind of people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for saints like Paul, Lord, who lived their lives so that we would know what it means to know Jesus, what it means to have life in his name, Lord, what it means to be called into this ministry of reconciliation. And now, Lord, as we consider these final closing thoughts from Paul in Romans 15 and 16. Lord, make us the kind of people, we ask, that are so overwhelmed with all the riches that we've been given in Christ Jesus, in the gospel, so overwhelmed with the hospitality that we have received, so overwhelmed with the generous riches that you've given to us in him, that we'd be motivated more and more to pray that you'd make us aware of the opportunities we have to illustrate that for the life of the world. Lord, that we'd be the kind of people who would pray that you'd give us power and strength to overcome the busyness of our days, to overcome the seasons of life that sometimes to us seem that we have no room, whatever, to do these things. Lord, help us to be a prayerful people, that you'd give us opportunity to follow Paul, to follow Christians throughout the ages, to follow this example. Ultimately, Lord, to follow Jesus, who laid down his life, who did not come to be served, but to serve. Lord, help us to be prayerful people, that you'd give us this opportunity because we know that it will last into eternity. Lord, we're filled with joy every time we get to think of this glorious ministry. Help us, Lord, to ask you often for the opportunity to live it out. Lord, we feel in our own hearts our weakness. We feel in our own hearts the distractions that quickly enter in. Help us to be people who overcome these things in the gospel through your power, through the power of the Holy Spirit for us. We ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus, who is mighty and ready to save and ready to give us help, And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.